Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to be at verse 10 through the end of the chapter, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the precious, written, holy, inspired, inerrant word. Father, we surrender, I pray all of us here, we surrender to the truth. Father, because it's your truth, and we surrender to you. And what you say goes. Even though at times, God, it goes against our grain, what you say goes. And I, I pray, Father, that today, as I pray each Sunday you would grant us an even more submissive spirit to what the truth of the Word of God says. God, that it would be a delight to us to hear what your Word says. That we would rejoice in how it transforms us from the inside out. So, God, I I pray once again for your blessing on our time as a family gathered around the Word of God. Lord, we want to hear from you, not from Dan, not from any particular man. We want this text to speak this morning. And so I pray for your precious Holy Spirit, Lord, to use me as an instrument, but even more than that is to touch the hearts of your people with your word by your spirit. We might be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for having been here. And it's in his name, Lord, the the only one that I have access to you through. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. God's timing's perfect, right? So we know that, but there are often times when he does stuff and we go, well, maybe not right now. (laughs) Are you sure, God, that that's when you want to do this? That doesn't seem to add up. There are times when things come into our lives and we all scratch our head going, really? Like this moment, is that really what's going to happen? I remember when I was in eastern Oregon, I had an old pickup truck with just a bench seat in the front, single cab pickup, and I had a huge bottle of coffee, and I put that on the seat, and I had a bunch of meetings I had to go to, and I went out to the truck, and I sat down, started the truck, and it's an old truck, so it's rumbling, and all of a sudden I was like, this truck doesn't have heated seats. There's coffee everywhere. And in that moment, now, Lord? (laughs) Now? God gives us what we need at the exact moment we need it. But he doesn't necessarily tell you why you need it, per se. On our way back home from Spokane earlier this year, um, somehow, I don't know how, probably because I was tired, but I missed the turnoff at Ritzville and went many, 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 many miles in the wrong direction until my wonderful uh, helpmate woke up and said, 
you're on the wrong highway. <laughs> so I just told her very kindly, nah-uh. And then we got on the right highway and came home. And I'm like, Lord, why? I mean, I'm an idiot. Yeah, okay. But really, like, why, Lord? What'd you spare us from? What were you up to? I don't know what you're doing, Father. Perhaps. <clears throat> but God's timing is perfect, and he brings things into our lives when we need it. He doesn't necessarily bring things into our lives when we think we need it. When we're really, really telling him, we need this now. Give it to me now, Lord. Rarely is that when he gives it to us. There are times where he answers prayer immediately like that, but rarely. No, more often, it's hindsight where you look behind yourself and you go, man, that was the absolute perfect time for God to have done that. In the moment, it seemed like it just didn't make any sense at all, but in that moment, that was exactly what I needed. That's exactly what God was doing. I needed God to do that in that moment. I didn't even know it. I was not aware of it, but our sovereign king knew that. In their text this morning, it's kind of a classic text, Jacob's Ladder, where the Lord comes and reveals. He gives a revelation unto this man for the first time, a special revelation from God to Jacob. In the midst of Jacob's fleeing from his brother who wants to kill him, exhausted with his head on a rock. Because God knows exactly what's going on in Jacob's heart and exactly what's going on in Jacob's life, and God knows exactly what to bring into that life at the perfect moment. Real quick, sidebar, no different for you or I. I know, beloved, there are things happening in the lives in this congregation weekly where all of us at times on your behalf are going, really, Lord? Really? But the truth of the word forces us to submit to the fact that God knows exactly what he's doing, accomplishing his good purpose in every last one of our lives, and we can trust him. So look at verse 10. If you recall, Jacob's being sent to um, Rebekah's brother Laban for the sake of fleeing from his brother Esau, who wants to kill him, out of jealous rage. Now, she told Isaac that the purpose was for him to go and find a wife, and that will happen, and then some. But uh, at this point, he's fleeing from his brother who's seeking to do him harm. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. So if you're keeping notes, outline's very simple. This is the setting for the revelation. Then we'll see the content of the revelation and the response to the revelation. So this is the setting of the revelation. Jacob is traveling to Haran <clears throat> to Haran to flee from his brother by the word of his mom. So he's obeying the word of his mother to flee the the anger of his brother to go to her brother Laban in order to find a spouse, is what we told dad anyway. But really, you're fleeing because the brother wants to kill him. And so in that journey, many, 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 many miles, there's exhaustion. He's tired. Now, I want you just to take a, a half second and just consider what's been going through the life of Jacob and the mind of Jacob emotionally. 
The scripture never, God never says a negative word about Jacob throughout the whole ordeal where he lies and tricks his dad, which I find so fascinating. Nothing that is indicated that God was displeased. We could argue he was, but nothing's indicated in the text. So Jacob has now bought the birthright by selling that stew to his brother. His brother's been angry at him this whole time. He's mom's favorite. Esau's dad's favorite. And now he has got the blessing from his father by tricking his father, wearing the clothes of his brother, goat's hair on his arms, and then he tricked him and then got the blessing. His brother is so angry, he says, I'm going to kill him. Word comes to mom. Mom comes to him and says, you need to flee. Otherwise, your life's going to be taken. I'm sending you to my brother. Then they tell Isaac what's going to be happening. Think about everything that's involved in that. You need to leave your whole family and everything that is comfortable for you, Jacob. Remember, Esau is a man of the field, loves to hunt fish, whatever. And Jacob is a man who likes to dwell in tents, ESV translates it. He's more of a homebody. And he's being told, I want you gone. I want you to leave right now. Flee. Now, the plan of mother was you'll find a wife, things will settle down, brother will forget what you've done, and you'll come back, and then we'll just get back to life as normal. That won't happen, but that was the game plan. And so she sends him away, and Jacob, emotionally, with such a roller coaster, is on his journey, very long journey, to Haran, to the point he crashes. I would imagine exhausted, very, very tired from the journey, to the point that he pulls up a nice, soft rock. God reveals himself and his message through a dream. Now remember, beloved, the two kinds of revelation where we see the special revelation and the general revelation. Scripture tells us that God reveals his attributes through that which is made in Romans chapter 1, his divine power, his authority. We see that in creation. But he also does special revelation. The word of God written is special revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ in his teaching and preaching incarnate is special revelation. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see God reveal himself specifically to people. We see the burning bush. Uh, We see how many times he came and spoke to Abraham. And now here in a dream, he reveals himself to Jacob. Now, real quick, just because there might be a thought to this or questioning about this, people say, well, should we interpret our own dreams today? Uh, I don't see anything in Scripture that per se forbids that. Hebrews 1.1 gets very close to forbidding that, saying that in many ways and in many times God spoke, but now he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. But for me, it's really a non-issue when folks want to talk about dream interpretation, because I just say, well, how would you interpret it? Where would you go to see if it was true or not true? I'd go to the Word. Well, then just read the Word and relax. Now, how does the Lord communicate? This is where I just rest in the fact that He communicates the way He so desires to communicate. He's sovereign over all things. I don't put a lot of hope in dream interpretation, especially if it's against the Word. It's clear that it's uh, unscriptural. But nonetheless... As you go back and read your Old Testament, the Lord very much revealed himself through these ways. God did reveal himself through special revelation in dreams, in the burning bush, in many, many different ways. God made himself manifest to people in order to communicate with them. And so here, Jacob lays his head down, and in this dream, the Lord reveals himself to him. And it's very fascinating what kicks off this dream is a ladder. Now, 
Your, our, our Bibles say ladder. I would imagine most translations say ladder. Another translation could be a staircase. That's really not the issue of what the, of, of, the issue in the text is there's a go-between. There's a means by which heaven and earth are connected, okay? If you look down at your Bible, chapter 28, verse 12, And he dreamed a dream, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So there's a ladder bridging the gap between heaven and earth, the, the base at heaven, the top reaching, or at, at earth, the top reaching to, to heaven, and angels, messengers of God, servants of the Lord, traveling back and forth, I, would impl- I think is implied, accomplishing His purposes. God's work being done by heavenly hosts. God accomplishing His good work between heaven and earth via these messengers, these servants of the Lord. Now remember, it's a dream. Real quick, you ever had a weird dream? I'd share some dreams with you, but then, yeah, that'd be weird. So I'm not going to do that. We've all had those dreams where you wake up and you go, what did that mean? Who knows? I have no idea. Um, You know, uh, maybe I was supposed to wrestle Hulk Hogan. I don't know. But, you know, you have those kinds of dreams and and those things just, uh, I didn't see it in the scripture, so I just left it. But nonetheless, in this dream, it's very crystal clear in the text, and it's crystal clear to Jacob, God's revealing himself to him by this means. And so in that, I surrender my my mind, my heart, is that that's what's being accomplished here. And Jacob sees a ladder bridging this gap from man to God and from God to man. Really is the gist of what's being done here. So there's your setting. That's what's taking place in this dream And I want you to look at the revelation that God gives to Jacob. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Another translation is he stood beside it. But the concept is there's the Lord appearing beside or above this ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And so there's a... There's a crystal clear introduction, revelation of who he is to Jacob. Here's Jacob in this dream, God, by his grace, choosing to make himself known to this sinful man who has nothing, no reason to deserve this by any stretch. And he says, I am the Lord. I'm the same God that spoke to your father Abraham and your father Isaac. These other patriarchs that are in this line, Jacob, Abraham and Isaac, I am their God. I'm the same God that revealed myself unto them, and now I'm revealing myself unto you. You are in this line. And beloved, there's, there's many different things that can come out of that as far as application. Let me just touch on one, and I, I touch on it all the time. It's because I cannot get over this reality that there is no reason that God has to do this. But that he has sovereignly selected to do this. Nobody said, God, get out there and go you know, speak to Jacob and get him a little bit more comfortable. Bring him some ease and some comfort in his life. No, nobody says that. It's Almighty God who says, I will make myself known. I will reveal myself unto Jacob. 
And good luck making an argument that Jacob is a deserving one of God's grace. At times, folks will make that argument that God looks down the corridor of time to see who are the better people who will choose him and he'll go into their life. That's not true. And it's not true simply because as you look down the corridor of time, I'm not seeing anybody good, Jacob included. But God in his sovereign power makes himself known unto Jacob. Not only does he make himself known, this is what's so magnificent about our God, is the Lord not only gives the the incredible grace of revealing himself to him, but now he's going to just keep pouring grace upon grace over this man. Listen to what he says. These should sound somewhat familiar to you guys because they line up with the promises we've heard thus far. He says, I'm the father of Abraham, or God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So let's think about this content, this manifestation of Almighty God to this man. I am the Lord your God, the sure promises of God to Jacob. I will give you the land that you are on. I will give you a vast multitude of descendants. All families will be blessed through your seed, Jacob. And you will always have God's presence and God's protection. And God will be faithful to every last one of these promises that he's made to you. Now, beloved, the reason that has so much potency, the reason that is so immense is because he can accomplish everything he promises. He will accomplish everything he promises. If I were to make a promise that I couldn't keep, it would would have weakness. Even if it was a promise that I thought in the moment I could keep, it still has tremendous weakness. Dan, there's no for sure you can do that. When God promises it, it's as good as done. Almighty God has told Jacob, Jacob, this this is who I am, and this is what I will do. And what I want you to notice in your Bibles is nowhere does he say, this is who I am and this is what I will do if you keep up your end of the bargain. He doesn't say that with Abraham. He didn't say that with Isaac. And he doesn't say that here with Jacob. Notice that the covenantal promises that he's making to this man right here, God does not say if, if, if. Now, as we're going to see in a bit, Jacob throws an if out there, but God never does. Remember that very strange verse months ago, maybe last year, I don't remember, with Abraham, where they cut open those animals and they spread them apart, and then the Lord went through but put Abraham under a deep sleep, so Abraham did not go through, but Almighty God went through. Typically, when a covenant was made like that and they're making a promise to each other, both will certainly walk through. And the concept is, may we become like these animals if we do not keep this covenant. Abraham never passed through. 
Because God was saying, no, no, no. I am saying this will be what I do. It's not hinged upon you to keep this covenant up. I will do it. And with Isaac, he's told him the exact same covenantal promises. This is what I'm going to do. I will do it. And now here with Jacob, he reveals himself to him. He says, I will accomplish this. But there's a little bit added here that really touched my heart in studying this text, is that not only did the Lord give these covenant promises of, I will give this land unto you, I will, I will make you a multitude come from you, I'll bless all the families of the earth through your seed. Then he adds this extra pillow of, I'm with you in all this. I will never leave until I've accomplished everything I said I would. It's one thing to be promised something and then the person leaves. It's another when somebody promises it's going to be this way. By the way, I'm not going anywhere right now. I'm staying with you through this whole thing, and I will accomplish everything that I just told you I would. I don't know about you, but even when things are difficult, there is a sweet comfort knowing that the presence of God is right there in the midst. Hasn't caught him off guard. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is at perfect peace in what he's accomplishing, and he will protect Jacob. God will be faithful to Jacob in all of this. His presence, his power, his protection, a tremendous promise made to a man that up to this point in what we've studied thus far, seems like kind of a slimy guy. Yet, that makes no difference to the promise of God and what he said he would do. Remember, this promise goes all the way back to Abraham, where he promised Abraham this would be. Now Isaac, this will be. And now Jacob, this will be. God's promises, they are not dependent of any... uh, They are not dependent on Jacob. They are independent of Jacob's works. This promise was made to Abraham. This promise is made by God's covenant and by God alone. God leaves no room for Jacob to add to his work. God leaves no room for Jacob to add to his work. Are you seeing the salvation parallel? I hope you are. God leaves nothing for you to add to his perfection in Christ. Just as back here in this covenant, God leaves no room for Jacob to go, I'll do stuff too. No, hold on a sec. That's not part of the deal. God nowhere in his statement here says, these are yours if. The Lord has no if in his promises. Please notice that God's promises come to Jacob where he was most vulnerable and helpless. I thought this was a fascinating thought. He has no opportunity to plan, no opportunity to manipulate, no opportunity to scheme. God and God alone will be accomplishing these covenant promises. Remember, the Lord gives you what you need when you need it. He doesn't give you what you need when you think you need it. So God in his sovereignty brings things into our lives at the exact time he knows it needs to be brought into our lives. Isn't it fascinating that God reveals himself to Jacob when Jacob is fast asleep? As he is helpless, as he's vulnerable, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to pour all this into your life and accomplish my will perfectly. Because what have we seen about Jacob? 
this guy is a pretty good planner. This guy's a pretty good schemer. He, he has done many things that, to make things a little bit easier, to make it a little bit smooth, with an idea of, I can work this angle. Well, no, in your dead of sleep, the Lord's going to come and promise, I will not let you be a part of accomplishing this. I will bless you by my choice. God's faithfulness to Abraham, God's faithfulness to Isaac, God's faithfulness to Jacob, and God's faithfulness to the descendants. Do you see how the, this multi-generational promise of the living God, because it's not based on the one man, it's based on Almighty God. Now, look down your Bibles and look at the response of Jacob to what, has, what God has revealed to him. Then Jacob, verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. The house of God, God's presence, the gate, God's access to God, he's speaking about in those two things doesn't surprise me. And, and it's funny, I don't know about you, but I use the word awesome too regularly about dumb stuff. Um, you know, but Harleys are awesome. So, no, they're not. Truly, that word, and I'm guilty as anybody more than everybody, that word is particular, that only God truly is awesome. That the sovereign king of the universe, beloved, when, you first come, when we first come to Christ, I remember a guy years ago said, man, I knew God was big, but I didn't know he was big. And all, he was trying to do the best he could with his vocabulary to describe what God had revealed to him of himself. Have you been there? And don't answer, just, just think about this. Have you been there, and have you been there lately? Where you have been in the presence of the Lord, whether it's in the reading of his word or prayer, or sometime where you came away going, Awesome. No fireworks show comes close. No bolt of lightning comes anywhere near the awesome God. He is awesome. And so Jacob wakes up, and in the Hebrew it says, Dude. <laughs> Because he was so shocked at what he just saw. And please notice what shocked him. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And notice this, you guys, verse 17. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? So fear, once again, just like we see with Christ, when, when the disciples Remember, go away from us, for we are, for I'm a sinful man. When mankind comes into the presence of God and recognizes the presence of God, you have an Isaiah 6 experience where I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I am in the presence of the supreme, awesome, holy, sovereign God. And you cannot help but recognize him for who he is when you do to recognize yourself in light of who he is. That we taste this, we taste this for the first time at conversion, 
And then, Lord willing, through sanctification, through the rest of our life, we continually see ourselves rightly as we see our Lord rightly. Ultimately resulting when we're actually in his presence when we leave this earth, we see the sovereign king, the awesome God for who he is. Jacob has a taste. I think it's interesting, is it not, that he recognizes the fact that I didn't even know. Truly the Lord's here. And I didn't know it. I didn't recognize it. I didn't know what was happening. I was just tired, so I pulled up a rock to take a nap. And God in his grace has made himself known. And so he had fear, a holy fear in verse 17. And this is the house of God where God dwells, and this is the gate of heaven we have access to God. Now let's look at the response uh, real quick. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz, or Luz, at the first. Then Jacob made a vow. Now, this is the longest vow in the Old Testament, and it's a very interesting one, what he goes into here. But first, just look at verses 18 and 19. He wakes up from this dream very early. Who knows if the sun had been up or not, what's going on here, but he wakes up from that dream, energetic and excited, knowing God was here. This is the Almighty God. He's not second-guessing it or questioning it. So he takes the stone that he rested his head on, and he sets it up with a pillar and poured oil on it. He's consecrating it. He's making a special spot is all he's doing. Much like we may do where um, a loved one may be buried. Or perhaps there's a particular place where you asked your spouse to marry you. To marry you. Um, or particular places that are just, those are very special places for you. Well, just like that, Jacob here takes this rock, sets it up, and pours oil on it. This is a means of worship. This is a means of coming back to God and saying, oh, Lord, This is where I met you. This is where you met with me. This is where you revealed to me these promises you made to Abraham and Isaac and now me. Verse 19. And he called that place Bethel, the house of God, is what that that word means. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. Now listen to this. Saying, if... It's the toughest part of the text. The reason it's tough is because there are some Bible uh, teachers and commentators who say, no, rather the translation should be since. But then I read the rest of the vow. It doesn't sound like since to me. sounds like Jacob um, is still a man who has not fully grown to maturity as a believer, as a follower of this God. And so he's holding out a bit. Just just listen to what he says here, okay? If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Uh, excuse me? Then? Really? Really? Okay. And that's what makes me think that this should not be since, it should be if, because he's saying, when this happens, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. So perhaps there will be some sort of temple or something built there. 
And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, isn't it interesting, you guys, that in the text, Almighty God gives all these promises and never once says, if. I will give you, I will give you, I will give you, I will give you, and I will pour all this over you. Period. Jacob's response, this is awesome. I'm in the presence of God. I'm going to build a, a, put up a pillar and put a rock there, consecrate it, recognize what has taken place, that Almighty God has promised this to me. And if God will give me clothes, food, care for me, and bring me back to my father, then he'll be my God. What do you do with that? Well, here's the issue. Far too quickly, we want to give Bible characters a perfectionist thought in our mind that this person has reached perfection. Come on, no way. Jacob hasn't reached any sense of perfection, and so as I read the text, and the majority of the commentators that I, that I read and looked at this week are all in agreement that this is a sign that Jacob still has a level of immaturity. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever met somebody who is a truly born-again Christian who's still relying on works just a little bit to please God? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to find a mirror Because every last one of us, at some point, one way or the other, will look to our performance rather than the perfection of Jesus. So I can't beat him up. Because there's times where I think, man, I'm a bad Christian. Because I'm looking at myself and my performance before God rather than the perfection of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, let me ask you this. What if he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain? Did you see God ever say if? Did he ever say if to Abraham? Did he ever say if to Isaac? Did he say if to Jacob? Not once. And so the Lord will for sure show his promise to be utterly faithful. And no doubt Jacob will recognize that perfect faithfulness. And Jacob can put his if there all he wants, but the reality is he's not fully aware of just who he's dealing with and what God's going to accomplish in his life. Now, a couple points of just conclusion to to consider, and then I'm going to close in prayer. What's with the ladder? (laughs) What's with that ladder? Uh, A ladder that goes from heaven to, to earth, and God is accomplishing his good purposes through that Ladder. For time's sake, I'm going to move very fast on this and skip a couple of points that I have here. Turn to John 1, 51. John chapter 1, verse 51. And if you're curious what I'm doing, I think the ladder prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a picture of Christ in that text. Dan, why would you say that? Because look what Jesus says in verse 51 of chapter 1 of John. Oh, we'll start at verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the tree, the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder. I'm so glad you guys are all looking at the book. (laughs) 
Isn't that fascinating? What a weird text for Jesus Christ to bring to mind to these men in this passage. So I believe, uh, from the best of my understanding, is that in that dream there is a foretelling, a prefiguring, a pointing forward. Because you ask the question, what could enable God's ministry from heaven to earth What could enable prayers from earth to heaven? How could this ever be accomplished that this gap would be filled between man and God? There is one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ, Jesus. God's blessings are carried back and forth on this ladder, which is showing us the Lord Jesus Christ. Man coming to God through Christ and God blessing man through Christ. The, last, the other point, because I'm kind of showing you Christ in the text as I, as I close. In Galatians 4.16, we are given a promise in reference to the seed of Abraham. And he specifically speaks to this seed, not as the Jewish race, but as Jesus Christ. How will every family of the earth be blessed by the offspring of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob? We're told specifically in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, through this perfect seed, the Lord Jesus. Guys, just for a second, ponder the amount of time between Jacob and Christ. Or even the time between Jacob and the Apostle Paul as he pens this. It leaves me just backing away in borderline fear of the awesomeness of God if he is that vested in the details of what's taking place to the point we go all the way back to a dream of one man resulting, pointing forward to the perfect revelation of God in his son Jesus Christ. I made this statement last week and I make it again afresh. All human history turns on the hinge of the Lord Jesus. He is the centerpiece of all things. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your grace that you poured out in Jacob's life. God, I thank you for the immense grace you've poured out in Dan Mason's life. Lord, you so kindly sought to reveal yourself to me as a seven-year-old. You poured out your covenantal blessings on me. Your son was brutally murdered for my salvation. Dear God, I, I rejoice, I so rejoice this morning that I am a recipient of the grace of God. And I recognize, Lord God, how unworthy I am. And I recognize how kind and gracious you've been. So, Lord, I thank you that Jacob was not the last one that you chose to reveal yourself to and pour grace on. But, Lord, all through redemptive history, you have made yourself known to a people. You have bought them. 
You've got your own special people, zealous for good works, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And dear God, your son has promised that he will build his church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. And so, Holy Father, I I ask of you that this endeavor, this glorious endeavor of your church growing one by one in the salvation of sinners, oh, Father, may it press on. And may we be an instrument in your hand to accomplish that purpose, ultimately for the glory of your dear Son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.